This is Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears, and I'm joined as always by Federico Vitici. Hey, Fraser, welcome back. How did your back. trip go? Yeah, we were in France last week, uh, Easter holiday trip, and everything went well. Uh, we The car survived. We drove there, we drove home. Nothing went terribly wrong except for one thing, which we'll talk about mm. in a little while. Uh, but before we go into that, Federico, I just wanted to follow up one thing from the last show. Um, okay, we, sure. We mentioned in the last show that if you password protect a document in iWork, that you can't then share it. And that's actually not mm. true. It, it turns out that uh, you, even if your documents are password protected, you can still share them through iCloud uh, for any of the okay. free iWork formats as well. So it's just something we want to follow up on and clear that up as well. Uh, I think you, you mentioned it's different from Notes that way. Yeah, I think it's different from Notes. At least I remember that in Notes, if you had a private note, you couldn't share it with other people. And I guess it's different because it makes more sense to lock a document with a password that maybe you want to share with, I don't know, with your attorney or with an accountant, for example. Then it makes sense to be able to password protect and share at the same time. Whereas I guess Apple sees Notes as more of a private, personal uh, sort of um, piece of information. And then it doesn't make sense to share a private note with other people. I guess that's the idea, at least. Uh, but yes, seems convenient that you can do so in iWork. So thank you for the feedback, listeners. Good stuff. So, Federico, what's your topic for tonight? Well, um, we, we we want to talk about security on iOS. And I guess that it could be, you know, you could say that iOS is per- perhaps the most secure by default, of all the mass market uh, operating systems uh, that we have seen to date. It is the most secure, and it comes from from maybe the company that cares the most about privacy, about security, about making sure that iOS, you know, the, the, the mobile OS that powers more than a billion devices is uh, as, sec- as safe and as secure as it, as it can be for everyone. Uh, unfortunately... Inspired by true events, <laughs> Fraser, uh, we're going to talk about how you can set up an iOS device with the proper security measures. And this is the, the sad part. We're going to explain how you can react when things go wrong, when something bad happens. And I'll, I just want to hear your story because you mentioned that the vacation and the trip to France went okay except one thing. And that one problem, uh, we managed to find a productivity angle, I guess. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that. Always be podcasting, that's right. Yeah. So, Always. so the, the sad part of the story was that it was we were there for a week. And on the last day, the last evening of the last day of the holiday, we had been out for the day with the kids in Paris, central Paris. We were in the um, one of the gardens in Paris and we'd had a wonderful day and everybody was too hot and sunburned and tired and everything and starving as well so we we bailed out and went into the very nearest mcdonald's because uh, when you've got a cranky four-year-old that's the first thing you want to do um and we were just sitting at a table we had got our food we were eating it and so on and some a man came in and sat down beside us and at the next table but the tables are all kind of in a row in this situation and I suppose that the first mistake that we made was we we were sitting at the one table right next to the front door onto the main street uh, which I think made us a bit of an easy target and what happened was just at one point as we were distracted uh, this guy just reached down and grabbed one of the bags that we had and just ran off with it 
and that was it gone uh, never to be seen again uh, that's awful so yeah and very fortunately our passports weren't in that bag our passports were in another bag so it wasn't the worst possible thing that could have happened but mm. the the things that were in there um, we lost my wife's purse with all our bank cards in it and we lost her iPhone 6 in there as well and that was the one that we were you know primarily concerned with uh, so what do we do once we realized it was gone? I mean, we must have realized within about 20 seconds or 30 seconds that it was gone. Um, ran out in the street, couldn't see anybody. You know, it's, it's Paris, it's busy, right? You know, who, yeah. how are you going to see that? So I I still had my phone, so I immediately opened Find My iPhone and we saw that within that time, the device had got about half a mile away uh, looking at mm. the location. And then once we once I'd seen that, the, the device update stopped and we never saw it move again after that. Um, so my guess is that he just ran away with the bag and ran about that distance and then stopped to see what he had got and found the phone and uh, either, I guess, powered it down at that point or removed the SIM card or something. But that was what cut it off from our access. And we, we never saw it again. We never saw the bag again. And we kind of just went into disaster recovery mode at that point and tried to I tried to send some erase commands to the phone uh, put it into mm. loss mode we'll talk about some of these technologies in a minute um, and also you know getting on the phone to uh, connect to her bank and her service provider to get the sim card stopped and to get the bank cards cancelled and so on all of which we did within about 20 minutes you know so I don't think we've we are susceptible for any losses it's just the loss of the phone in particular that was yeah the expensive part so that's yeah. uh that's the true events that inspired this episode that is very sad i'm very sorry to hear that um but in this show fraser we're going to look uh because of your story at the user facing security features of ios and as well as some third-party ap applications and some suggestions for setting up an ios device so it can be as secure as possible we're not going to talk about the very low level features of the ios security model like the trusted boot chain or how it, everything is cryptographically signed uh the system updates for ios that low level uh, very specific very you know uh the, 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 the stuff that goes back to the architecture of ios we're not going to talk about it because personally i feel like it's a whole other world and apple has a security paper that you can download from uh from you know just search for ios security guide you can learn all of the technical details um but it it is still important i think when you look at um when you look at the topic of security and safety um it's always important to remember that everything is built to be safe or secure within certain conditions within certain parameters um for example, you know, fire doors uh, can withstand a certain amount of minutes, certain number of minutes until they burn down and, you know, <laughs> they give away and there's no more protection. And even when you look at iPhones, when you look at Apple Watches, they can, you know, they, they are water resistant or waterproof, but they can still, they have a guaranteed uh, amount of pressure, for example, that they can, you know, they can resist at certain depths or for certain amount of times. And it's always important to remember, uh, besides these parameters, besides these conditions, the kind of threat that you're facing. Uh, of course, um, computer security, I think, gets a lot of people, uh, a, a lot of people's imagination running, and you start thinking of Edward uh, Snowden, for example, or Julian Assange. Uh, that's in the sort of movie-like 
computer security and spy stuff. We're not going to talk about that. We're, we, we're going to talk about the more practical uh, uh, tips and the more practical threats that most people face in, in their daily lives when it comes to uh, using a mobile device, shopping online, receiving email... And in fact, if you think about it, uh, the, the, the most common problems are not about some government agency, uh, you know, going after you with secret agents. It's more about you don't have any security practice in place, so you don't use a passcode or you reuse the same passwords all over the place. Or maybe uh, you, you know, it's there's random theft like happened to you guys, Fraser in Paris. Yeah. There's some guy walks in and grabs a bag or could be for example an accident that i don't know your phone your phone burns down or drops into the lake and suddenly you lost a lot of information a lot of a lot of private notes a lot of passwords or maybe there's it's not your problem uh, maybe there's a breach somewhere in the cloud so your account is compromised and it's out of your control even if you actually did use a password that was secure enough and even if you had a bunch of security pra- uh, practice uh, measures in place uh, there's still a breach in in an account system and so you gotta you gotta have a, you gotta have a you know a backup you gotta you gotta have a system to prevent that kind of problem so in this episode I I want to stress how uh, of course, we're not going to talk about state-level enemies, spies, or governments, <laughs> that type of stuff. Uh, we want to be... Uh, also because it's impossible to cover in a, in a, in a one-hour podcast. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about the uh, what you can do on iOS, what you can do with Apple devices, what kind of security measures you should follow, and what you can do when things don't go as you might expect, when things go wrong. And I guess, Fraser, the first item on our list to discuss is this question. Should you use a passcode on your devices? Let's save some time and just say the answer is yes to that one. Uh, I mean, iOS security starts with a passcode and there's a reason why in the in the setup assistant on iOS it prompts you for a passcode, and then if you say no, it says, "Are you really sure you don't want to put in a passcode?" Um, simply put, you must set a passcode on your device. Technically, you don't have to, but if you're actually if you're going to sign into any service or store any data at all on your device, even photographs, you are basically insane if you don't set a passcode. There's not really a good reason. The small amount of inconvenience that it might have caused in the past has mostly been helped by Touch ID, um, but even so, that amount of pain is worth it to protect yourself in situations. I mean, I can't really tell you the amount of sort of fear and concern that losing a phone actually caused us because um, there was so much stuff on there that was, you know, there were passwords in there, there were logged in accounts in there and things like that. So a passcode is, is your basic level of security that everyone should have. Um, and what this also does is worth mentioning is it's not just... Um, that a passcode is required to get into the device, but that also applies storage level encryption to an iOS device as well. So if you've ever wondered why it kind of takes a little bit of time when you set the passcode to when you verify it, it sort of pauses for a second before it goes on. Some encryption work is happening in the background there to encrypt the storage on the device as well. So that really, really significantly increases your level of security just with, with doing that one thing. Um, iOS lets you set three different kinds of passcode. The traditional four-digit PIN code that has was been around since iOS uh, 1.0, I think, uh, 
since iOS 9, the default that you're prompted for is a six-digit PIN code, and you have always been able to put in an alphanumeric password of unlimited length. So instead of typing in um, on the uh, lock screen on the keypad that sometimes comes up, you get a keyboard, a full keyboard in a text field, and you can type in a password of any length that you like. Um, and that's something that we've we certainly used that in school for many years. Our kids get a, a six-letter, two-digit password um, that's randomly generated for them. And that gives you a very, very high level of security. But one of the key things that we discovered when our phone was stolen is that we started to think, well, you know, what was that PIN code based on? And was it based on any other information that had been stolen along with the phone? And fortunately, it was not. But it's not uncommon for people to, for example, use their date of birth as their PIN code when it comes to six digits. Uh, and for example, my wife's purse was stolen with her phone and in her purse was mm. her driving license and on her driving license yeah. in plain text is her date of birth. Yeah. You know, so you've you got to think not just about the device by itself, but the device along with other things that might be stolen with it as well. So that was fortunate. We were fortunate to be protected in that sense. Um, any combination, any month and year combination, your children's dates of birth, these things are not particularly secret. Um, particularly when you know, everybody goes on uh, Twitter and Facebook, you're like, happy 40th birthday, right? Uh, basically gives away your date of birth, doesn't it? So um, that simple combinations as well, such as 1234, that's probably 10% of all PIN codes right there, uh, or double zero, mm. double one, or something like that. Um, these numbers are not really genuinely secret. Um, but the reason for using longer PIN codes or alphanumeric passwords is that basically trying all the combinations takes a lot longer. So if you have a four-digit PIN, I looked up these numbers, I didn't calculate them by hand, but if you uh, have a four-digit PIN number uh, involving the digits zero to nine, you can only have 10,000 possible combinations there. That's all right. you can make. Yeah. Whereas if you have six digits, zero to nine in a PIN code, you can have one million possible combinations. Uh, and if you use an alphanumeric passcode, obviously the longer it becomes uh, the much harder yeah. it becomes to guess you know because not only not only are there more digits but every one of those characters can be you know one of all the letters of the alphabet plus all the punctuation symbols plus a space and all that kind of stuff um so you, it, the alphanumeric passcodes are very very hard to guess uh, but even so ios does protect you from random attempts as well so you hindi who's got children has probably seen this happen to their device but if you persistently get the passcode wrong on your device, iOS will start to slow you down and then it will exponentially slow you down more and more and more. So after I think it's maybe um, 10 tries, uh, the device will then lock for one minute and then you get another attempt and it'll lock for five minutes and then 15 minutes and then an hour. And eventually after, I think it's about 15 tries, the device just, it just says, this iPhone is disabled, connect to iTunes. And you have to go then go and restore the device. Um, so if you have a six-digit PIN code, for example, that means an attacker has to guess the correct passcode uh, within the first 15 tries at odds of one in a million right, each time. So it's, it makes it reasonably difficult to get in. And that was when we had our phone stolen, that was one of the kind of peace of mind things that we had straight away. It was like my wife was really freaking out. And I said, look, how are they going to get into your phone? Explain to me how you're going to get into your phone. He said, well, they have to know the six-digit PIN code. It's like, well, how are they going to guess that? Uh, I don't know how they're going to guess mm. that, you know. So that we were able to kind of walk through the scenarios of how are they going to get into the phone. Uh, and we knew that because we had a PIN code, uh, things were in, in reasonably good shape. However, if you make the passcode something simple or something related to other information, you 
then increase the attacker's odds of success significantly. So I imagine if, if I was a criminal and I was stealing somebody's bag, I would look for things in the bag that had dates of birth on them and I would try all of those first. And if you have uh, used that as a pin code, you're definitely at risk of being compromised quite badly there. Um, there is one other setting. I don't know if you've ever used this one, Federico. There's a kind of time bomb setting you can put in, yep. in iOS, uh, which is in settings, touch ID and passcode, and the switch is called erased data. And what yes. happens there is if you if you get your passcode wrong 10 times, the device basically self-destructs. It just wipes itself yeah. at that point. Yeah, and this very setting was a uh, cause of contention last year between Apple and the FBI uh, when there was the case in the United States of a phone that had been conf- um, that had been uh, taken by the uh, authorities to a terrorist uh, following the terrorist attack in San Bernardino, I think. The problem was there's no way for forensics tools to know whether this setting, the erase data setting, is enabled on a device. Mm. And so when you connect a phone to a computer, uh, there are pieces of software that law enforcement can use to sort of simulate entering a passcode, multiple, multiple combinations of different passcodes, as you mentioned, over and over through a computer that tries every single combination until a phone unlocks. But there's no way in uh, in the iOS sandboxing model to know whether this setting is enabled or not. And therefore, if you connect a phone to a computer, start running the uh, pin combination tool, and you enter 10 uh, failed passcode attempts, the phone just resets itself. And so you lose all of the data. And what the FBI wanted, what the US government wanted, was a way for Apple to modify the software of iOS to either, uh, to to basically bypass the erase data setting upon a request from the from law enforcement and that was the cause of contention between the two and eventually you know the case ended with uh, with Apple not having to create this custom version of iOS but this very setting that you just mentioned was the was behind the whole story last year now this is not about politics we can you know this is not for this show but this setting uh, it's it's a uh, it's very important that you keep it if you're, you know, uh, on your personal devices, I think, because if someone gets your phone and starts running, you know, multiple attempts at guessing your passcode, after 10 failed attempts, you can be sure that all of your data will be wiped from the device. Uh, and so I've been keeping this option enabled on, on all of my devices, really, uh, for several years now, and I, and I switch it on on my mom's iPhone, on my girlfriend's iPhone, basically everyone I know. I enabled this yeah. setting. <laughs> I've been hesitant to turn this on, mainly because I have young children in the house. I was about to say, if you have children or... I don't know if you're someone who maybe tends to forget the passcode for some reason. Mm. Maybe, I don't know, for example, you just change your passcode uh, after several years of using the same passcode. Now you're getting used to the new one and maybe you forget it and now you have this option enabled that maybe you're causing a problem to yourself. So I would I would say you, you should enable this setting if you don't have kids messing around with passcodes and, and if you are absolutely certain that you won't forget your own passcode, of course. So there's a couple of other settings that are relevant here as well, Federico. There's um, the auto-lock setting. There's a lock-unlock setting, which is more for iPads than for phones, and one called require passcode as well. 
Now, auto lock is partly a power saving setting. This is just the feature that after a certain period of sitting idle, the device will automatically turn itself off and lock itself. Um, and this setting is actually in the display and brightness section of settings. It's not in the security settings. But you can set it for 2, 5, 10, or 15 minutes, or you can set it to never. Uh, my habit has typically been to have it set at never, but I, in, after this instance, I've changed my mind about that as well. Um, and, and what that will do is it will just turn off your device. Um, and when your device is turned off, there's then um, a, a setting called require passcode that says, how long can a device that was unlocked sit in the locked state before the passcode is required? Uh, so if you have that setting, you can have it set to 1, 5, 15 minutes or 1 or 4 hours if you don't have Touch ID set up, okay? Because uh, these two things kind of work together a little bit. Uh, if you have Touch ID set up, then the only setting you can have is immediately. So as soon as the device is locked, it requires the passcode. Um, and that's uh, that's obviously the most secure setting. But without Touch ID, that's a little bit inconvenient to, to live with. So you, you can have a grace period of a few minutes or multiple hours if you want to as well. Um, but as I would say, the majority of iOS devices now are Touch ID enabled. There's not a good reason not to have Touch ID set up. Um, if you can, if you can do it, I mean, I've met some people who, for whom t Touch ID doesn't work, like people who have heavy scarring on their fingerprints, for example. Um, touch ID can sometimes be very unreliable for them, but uh, require passcode is is the kind of flip side to auto lock as well. So you could, the device may auto lock, but until the require passcode period passes by, um, it will still be unlockable um, immediately. Uh, and the last one is the, the lock unlock controls. This is when you have the when the iPad Smart Cover came out and the cover's got magnets right. in it. Um, yeah. This controls whether or not closing the case will lock the device as well. Um, and that's on by default, and um, th that's quite handy because if you just close your case, the iPad will lock, and then and then your require passcode settings come into play at that point as well. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's not really a good reason to turn that off, except we we have sometimes have kids turn that off in school because. Um, in the backpack, what can happen is like the case can become slightly misaligned with the front of the iPad uh, and it can cause the screen to keep coming on and off all the time, which runs down the battery a little bit. Um, right. So yep. for some people whose cases maybe are a bit worn or something like that, or their backpack's very stuffed full, I sometimes suggest maybe turn off lock unlock just for that reason. But uh, beyond that, there's not a really good reason because when you do, when it, if you open the case and unlock it, uh, if you have Touch ID set up, it still requires a Touch ID interaction. It's not like the device will somehow magically get the passcode right. from your from your cover. Yeah. It's it's more no. secure than that, but it's it's just the way the the situation the way the setting is named is lock mm -hmm. unlock. Speaking of Touch ID, um, beyond the passcode, uh, Apple has been shipping devices with Touch ID sensors since uh, I think 2013 with the iPhone 5S and on the iPad since uh, the year after that, so in 2014 with the iPad R2 and the iPad Mini 3. And initially it was the first generation Touch ID sensor. Uh, for a couple of years now, Apple has offered a second generation Touch ID sensor, which is used on the iPhone and which is faster, it's more accurate and it's definitely better than the first version. Uh, but in general, uh, Touch ID what it does is embeds a fingerprint sensor in the in the home button of the device, uh, no matter if you have uh, one of the old mechanical home buttons or the new fancy one on the iPhone 7, which is a haptic one. Uh, and it can be used to authenticate yourself, to unlock the device, and to complete transactions on the App Store, on the iTunes Store, uh, inside of apps, and also when using Apple Pay. And it can be 
it can be set up in the settings. So you can go into settings, touch ID and passcode, but it's now also part of the uh, iOS setup wizard. So when you do the initial iOS setup for a new, for a new device, you're prompted to uh, enable touch ID and there's a bunch of steps that you need to follow to place down your fingerprint and to sort of let the system scan your, uh, your fingerprint data. And this is the main thing to understand about touch ID. The sensor of the Touch ID system does not capture photographs of your fingerprints. This is one of the common uh, assumptions that, I, that my friends, for example, have and that I have to explain every single time. The sensor is not taking pictures of your thumbs, it's not storing JPEGs with your fingerprint data, and it's not sending them up to Apple's iCloud or some other server. What happens is this, we place down the fingerprint and Touch ID processes the fingerprint data to create a mathematical representation of your fingerprint. So it calculates, for example, the shape, the distance of the little ridges in your fingerprint, and it creates this mathematical expression that is the result calculated from your fingerprint. It's not an actual scan of your fingerprint, it's not an actual photo or image, it's mathematical data that represents your unique fingerprint. And this data, it's not sent to iCloud, it is not uploaded anywhere, does never leave your device. It's stored in the secure enclave, which is inside the processor of the iPhone and the iPad. It's a separate area. It's a secure enclave inside of the main CPU that is dedicated to storing the secure information. And this is the reason why your Touch ID fingerprints are not restored when you restore a device from backup. And the reason why they're never uploaded to Apple's iCloud, Apple does not want your data, does not keep your data. It, it's only self-contained in this secure enclave and not even as images, but as a mathematical representation that is in theory, you know, basically impossible to reverse engineer, I guess. Uh, Touch ID and passcode, they go hand in hand, they're dependent on each other. Touch ID, it means you have to enter your passcode less frequently because once you have entered the passcode, the first time a device starts from, uh, you know, you power on the iPhone, the first time you need to enter the passcode. After the first time, you can use Touch ID. And because you have to enter your passcode less, frequ less frequently, now you're able to create a more complex passcode because you're not going to see it all the time anyway. It's not like every time you unlock your phone, you need to type out a 12-character passcode. You just can use Touch ID and the, the passcode you can use it just the first time. Um, but there are some rules worth mentioning. For example, Touch ID does not allow unlimited attempts at uh, placing down your finger and authenticating with the fingerprint. You only have five attempts. After five failed attempts, Touch ID will be disabled and iOS will say, well, you failed five times, now you have to enter your passcode again. So I don't, I don't know why anyone with the Touch ID sensor would want to keep it disabled. I can see some of the arguments against Touch ID, such as I'm wearing gloves and authentication doesn't work, or I have a first generation one uh, on my iPhone 5S or iPhone 6. It's not really fast. It's not really good. I can see that those arguments, but in general, uh, like in everyday life, especially if you have a modern iPhone uh, with the second generation Touch ID, and it's not like you're wearing gloves all the time, it's not like you, you're, you're having water on your hands, for example, you're just 
took a bath, for example, you just took a shower and maybe Touch ID is struggling to authenticate you. In most scenarios, I would say, of course, enable Touch ID and rest assured it's not like it's taking pictures of your fingerprints that are going up on some servers in the United States. It's all on your iPhone. It's all secure. It's a mathematical representation of your fingerprint, uh, and it's very convenient. Yeah, I mean, if you've ever visited the United States, your fingerprints are already on a database somewhere anyway, so I wouldn't worry about it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, that ship sailed some time ago. Uh, One thing just to mention about fingerprints, though, it's quite interesting. Um, Apple has this thing called Managed Apple ID for students in schools. Mm. And if you sign into a device with a Managed Apple ID, you cannot enable Touch ID. It's very interesting, and I'm not absolutely clear why, but I slightly suspect that there have been some sort of political questions in the US and in other countries about um, schools storing biometric information about pupils. Um, there, were, there were some schools where they were using like fingerprints to you to authenticate for payment in lunch halls and things like that. Um, and sometimes there have been sort of civil liberties questions about that. So I wonder if Apple are maybe just saying, well, you know, uh, students are going to use managed Apple IDs, so we'll just disable Touch ID for everything, uh, just to avoid any difficulty like that. I'm, I'm, nobody's said that to me from Apple. That's just kind of my interpretation of why that restriction would be in place. But it's quite interesting because we have a whole suite of Touch ID enabled iPads in school, and not one of them has got the Touch ID stuff set up, um, which is uh, much to the disappointment of the children. I might add. So Federico, this week's episode is brought to us by Pingdom. Start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com slash canvas. You'll get a 14-day free trial, and when you enter the offer code canvas at checkout, you'll get 20% off your first invoice. Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everyone who has a site. And they do this by offering powerful and easy-to-use tools and services. For example, if you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of servers, databases, and websites will be a breeze. Pingdom take care of this by using more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site, checking availability as often as every minute. These days, websites are becoming more and more sophisticated and very often include several dependencies such as contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, logins, search functionality, and loads more. So Pingdom makes it possible to monitor the availability of all these key interactions people will have with your site because stuff breaks on the internet all the time. Every month, Pingdom detects around 13 million outages That's more than 400,000 a day. So regardless of whether you have a small website or you're managing a complete infrastructure, super important to monitor availability and performance. All Pingdom needs is the URL you wish to monitor and they take care of the rest. When Pingdom detects an outage, you'll be immediately alerted so you can fix it before it affects you because you don't want to be caught out when someone wants to access your site. You need Pingdom. So check it out today and you'll be the first to know when your site is down. Go to pingdom.com slash canvas for a 14-day free trial and use the code CANVAS at checkout to get 20% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for the support of this show and Really FM. So Federico, let's talk a little bit about another feature that Apple has for security. We're moving away from the device now and we're moving into the cloud and we're going to look at a feature called Activation Lock, which is something that uh, has been... um, Slightly controversial from time to time, uh, but yeah. ultimately, you know, quite a quite a powerful feature, I think. And what activation does is this is security built into the activation process for iOS devices. It's not something that's on the device itself. Years ago, when mobile phones started becoming very common and uh, people started stealing them, basically, 
there was a lot of political pressure from governments to uh, both to mobile phone carriers and also phone manufacturers to do something to stop people stealing very expensive mobile phones. And one of the ways that this has been done, apart from the, the carriers being able to block stolen phones from the network and so on, um, the manufacturers have done things like activation lock to try and make it less attractive to steal an iPhone. Okay, uh, so what happens is when you sign into iCloud on an iOS device and you turn on Find My iPhone, which of course happens by default, there's actually no way to set up a new iOS device when you say, while signing into iCloud and not turning on Find My iPhone at the same time. Uh, activation lock gets enabled. And what this does is, is it's intended to kind of reduce the value of targeted theft of iOS devices. So uh, in our situation, our, it was just a bag was stolen and it happened to contain an iPhone. But people who know will realize that um, uh, there's no point in just snatching an iPhone out of somebody's hand because once it's erased, you will not be able to set it up again for any other user without the password of the original owner. So right. the iOS setup assistant, if your device is activation locked, the iOS setup assistant will ask for your password and it will not progress until you can provide the password for the iCloud account that this phone is linked to. Uh, and Apple is extremely strict about this and their policy is that they will not unlock an activation lock device for anyone at all. Uh, and there have been news reports uh, many of these in the UK and probably elsewhere as well, about people wanting to access dead relatives' devices and Apple basically saying uh, no, even though they're being presented with a death certificate, a court order, various other things, a last will and testament, all of that kind of stuff. Um, Apple have traditionally been very, very, very uh, reluctant to unlock activation lock for anybody at all. So it's, it's not something that you necessarily do very much with, but it's something that you know, everybody should know exists so that it makes the idea of stealing an iPhone less attractive. Now, obviously, if you're selling or giving away the device, you need to disable activation lock, and there are two ways you can do this. Firstly, if you still have the device and you still have the access to the account, you can just go into settings, iCloud, and turn off Find My iPhone. That will require the password to do so but that will also disable activation lock and that's activation lock completely turned off. However, if you don't have the device, but you still have access to the account that the device is tied to, you can log in to find my iPhone on iCloud.com and you can remove the device from your account. And at the same time, that will remove the activation lock for the device as well. But in both cases, you still need to have access to the iCloud account that the device was uh, tied to. Whether or not you actually have the device is not the important part. It's that the original owner has to be able to do that through the original iCloud account. So from a, a personal security point of view, there's nothing you really have to do here, um, but it is one of the parts of iOS security that's designed to make uh, device theft much less appealing. And it's just something that Apple kind of has in the background uh, that everybody should be aware exists and you just have to remember to turn it off if you're giving your device away to somebody else of course i see many of my friends forgetting to do this when they when they sell their iphones and of yeah. course uh, they, they get a call from the from the buyer and then they have to change the setting from from icloud.com yeah if you if you go into any of those uh if you go into any of those recycling websites they have like huge big red banners at the top say turn off activation lock before you yeah. send your iphone yeah. in. Uh, i can yeah. imagine that's yeah. a nightmare for them as well yeah. 
I want to briefly talk about the Apple Watch because it fits into this talk about security and uh, taking measures to make your devices safer. Uh, of course, the Apple Watch is valuable in itself as a, as a device. It's you know it's uh, not a, not the cheapest accessory that you can buy. Uh, but it's also more importantly, I guess, it has access to important information and data about yourself. It can be used as a token for uh, payments. It can be used to travel as a boarding pass. And increasingly, you know, with apps that we download from the WatchOS App Store, it can be used to control smart home devices. It can be used to view your health kit information by syncing with the iPhone. There are third-party apps that can load your health data and display it on the Apple Watch. So it it is important to keep the same security mindset when it comes to the Apple Watch. On WatchOS, you cannot set an alphanumeric passcode. You can still set a numeric one. The default is a four-digit one. You can go longer if you want to, but you cannot have a complex passcode with uh, with letters and numbers. So it's only numbers. Um, there's an option to... There's a few things actually here to remember. The best practice would be to automate to set up a different um, passcode from your iPhone. So if people know or can guess your iPhone's passcode, at least they won't be able to guess your Apple Watch as well. Uh, but I think that Apple defaults now during the watchOS setup, uh, or if it's not the default, at least it's an option advertising the setup uh, flow that you can automatically unlock your Apple Watch if you're already wearing the Apple Watch the moment that you unlock the iPhone that is paired with the Apple Watch. So in theory, in the morning, you put on the Apple Watch, you grab your phone, you authenticate into your iPhone, now the Apple Watch is unlocked as well. Um, and also, the Apple Watch, when you, do, when you remove it from your wrist, it will automatically lock itself and it won't let you in unless you put in the passcode. Now, I cannot think of why would anyone not want this option. It just makes sense to me that the Apple Watch stays unlocked after you put it on your wrist and you authenticate, and it automatically locks the moment that you remove it from your wrist. And so the watch with the sensors detects that it's been removed from your wrist and you're not wearing the watch anymore. Therefore, people should not just have access to information from the device. I think it makes sense. I haven't, I haven't had any trouble with, the, with this passcode system on my Apple Watch. Uh, I think Apple did a good job here. Yeah, there's only two reasons I, I know of to turn that setting off. And one is if you wear your watch very loosely on the wrist, um, then if, if it's hanging off your wrist, basically it can sometimes detect that it's off the wrist and it will sort mm, of lock that itself. That never happened to go. me. Um, yeah. You, I think you have to be you know, really quite loose, you know, like as if it's hanging off yeah. your hand practically. Um, the other one I've heard, um, I don't know much about this because I'm not a tattoo person myself, but um, people who have got like really heavy, dark tattoos under the area where they wear their Apple Watch, that can sometimes, I've heard, cause the watch to think it's off the wrist um, because the sensors are not um, detecting the, the response from the skin that they would normally expect. Um, and that can sometimes lead to the watch locking itself spontaneously. Uh, and, and the consequence of that, apart from anything else, is you don't get any notifications to the watch when it's locked either. Um, so that's, and that is obviously problematic for people who uh, are experiencing that problem as well. But beyond those two scenarios, I haven't heard of any other reasons why people would want to turn that setting off. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. 
Um, the other thing, Federico, just is also that Apple Watch does have activation lock now as well. Um, so your Apple Watch, when you pair it to a phone, it will be connected to your iCloud account. Uh, and then say somebody was to get the watch and erase it and uh, try and repair it with another phone, uh, they would still be prompted for your iCloud password. So the only way to turn this on and off with the watch is it's enabled when you pair the watch and you have to unpair the watch from your phone um, and that will disable activation lock for that watch as well. So that's that's the only way to control activation lock on the watch. Mm. Yeah, that this never occurred to me because just because I the watch is always on me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm also using it for sleep tracking. So I only take it off for like an hour in the morning when I'm showering or eating lunch, for example. Yeah. Uh, it's always on me. So, it, you know, the idea of someone stealing my Apple Watch never occurred to me, but yeah, it's possible. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yep. Um, you, just, you could always leave it, leave it somewhere behind, you know, or leave it in a hotel room or something like that. Or, yeah, it could uh, be, it could you be. Know, fall yeah. out your bag when you're, getting changed at the swimming pool or something, that kind of thing too. That's more likely to happen to me while I'm distracted by children. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the big thing, right, we want to talk about really is, is also um, Find My iPhone. Now there's actually a lot to talk about here because Find My iPhone can do a lot of really useful stuff. Um, and this is Apple's uh, map-based device recovery service. And it's on by default uh, and it provides a number of features that are very helpful in making sure that you can... Uh, find lost devices, uh, hopefully, uh, or protect your data in case of the device being stolen. So there's really four big things that Find My iPhone lets you do to a device. And the first one, uh, perhaps the sort of everyday one, is just to find it on a map, right? So did I leave my phone at work? Did I leave it at home? Where's my phone? Uh, When you check in there, uh, it will look, it will send a message to the device and the device will report back its location and you can see it on a map and see where, where it is. The second one is you can make the device play a sound, which also overrides the mute switch. So this is better than trying to phone your phone uh, because this will play a loud sound that's very easily heard uh, from a distance. And it will, even if you have the mute switch turned on or the device is silenced, um, the dev- that will, these settings will be overridden so that the device will make a sound. You can turn on a thing called loss mode that we'll talk about in a second. And you can also send a remote erase command so you can basically nuke the device remotely over the network as well. Now, Find My iPhone is found in Settings and iCloud, and there's a section called Find My iPhone. And there's only one setting in there that I'd recommend you turn on, which is called Send Last Position to Apple. Uh, And this, just to explain how Find My iPhone works, it's not the case, again, for privacy reasons, it's not the case that Apple is like continuously tracking the location of your phone everywhere you go. It's Find My iPhone only updates the location of your phone on a map when you log in to Find My iPhone with your iCloud password and ask it to show you where your phone is, it will send a message to the phone uh, and the phone will report back its GPS location and Apple will show it to you on the map. However, the the only other situation that you might want to think about is when your device is just about to run out of battery. And what it will do is when it gets a low battery situation, it will send its location uh, proactively to Apple and then it will die so that at least you know where its last position was uh, before the battery ran out. So if a device has been lying lost for a while, that might help you find it as well. So Find My iPhone, the the sort of access part exists in two places. One is there's an app called Find My iPhone, which has been installed by default since iOS 9. Previously, it was an App Store app that you could download. And secondly, you can sign into Find My iPhone on iCloud.com if you've lost your device and you need to get through to it some way, you can go to any computer, 
web browser icloud.com and sign in with your Apple ID password there uh, in order to get access to your map and your, your device information there. Also just worth mentioning that the Find My iPhone app is not tied directly to the current iCloud account on any device. You have to log in. And what this means is that if, say, you and I were out together, if I lost my phone, I could log into the app on your phone and I could see where my devices are. And that's quite a useful way to do it because it means that friends can help friends find devices if they get into a situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking about what happens if you lose your phone and you need to log in to find my iPhone from someone else's device, but your Apple ID has two-factor authentication turned on. How can you put in the second factor if your phone has been stolen and you don't have another Apple device right now and you just want to log in quickly? I've been thinking about this, and I guess the one of the solutions is either you add another phone number from a family member uh, to your list of uh, verified phone numbers, or maybe you also save your account's recovery key somewhere. Unless I'm missing something, it must um, be one of these two. There's a couple of things to do with that, Federico. One is um, signing into iCloud.com. If you have two-factor authentication turned on and you can't provide the second factor, you can say, there is a way to say, I just want to go into find my iPhone. And it, that will let you in with just the username and password and no other information. Okay. So find my iPhone alone will bypass the two-factor authentication because okay. if you think about it, you've just lost your second factor. Uh, so how would you otherwise do that? Um, yeah. But if if you do lose your device and you're trying to get back into your full iCloud account, then yes, you're right. You would need to, you would need to somehow be able to verify that it was you logging back into this device. So trusted mm. phone numbers is one way. So if you've if you've lost your device and you don't have any other device with you, you can have Apple um, either do a robocall or send a text message to another phone number. So it's worth adding somebody else's phone number to your account as well. But also to mention, you mentioned recovery key. Uh, that is only for what Apple used to call the two-step authentication system, which was the older style of two-factor before they brought in the full, the modern two-factor authentication system that shows you the little map before it gives you a code. Um, that system, the modern system, no longer uses recovery keys at all. Okay. So you have to have either a trusted device or a, a second trusted phone number, um, or you have to then phone Apple support and beg them to let you back into your account, uh, which mm. I think they can do, but you have you may have to send pictures of your passport or something. I don't know. Okay. It's not going to be a quick yeah. process. So find my iPhone can bypass these two-factor authentication to just let you into the find my iPhone app. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, the full account access, you need to have a second factor. Yep. Uh, so last night, what I did is I went into my uh, Apple ID settings and I added my girlfriend's phone number to my list of verified phone numbers besides, of course, my number. Uh, so now I have two phone numbers in my Apple ID. I should probably put in one for my parents, I guess, if maybe somebody steals both of our iPhones when yeah. we're on vacation. Uh, so maybe it could be a good idea to have even a third uh, phone number in my in my settings. Yeah, makes sense. I guess I didn't know there was a. Thankfully, I I never had to <laughs> bypass this uh, f- uh, find my iPhone access. Yeah. So, but it's good to know what you, um, what you see in in on the iCloud website is you see if you log in without the second factor, you all the other apps are disabled. So like I work in the cloud is all disabled, and the only one you can tap mm. on is find my iPhone, and that's the only one it'll let you see. Yeah. 
That makes sense. The, that makes sense. Everything. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, and of course, um, when it comes to find my iPhone mapping, uh, being able to view devices on a map is one of the essential features of the Find My iPhone system. And, and of course, the functionality requires that a device is connected to the internet, to a network, so that it can report its location to Apple and the location can be presented on the Find My iPhone maps. Uh, your location is not continually, uh, continuously tracked by default by the system uh, and it's only refreshed when you look at Find My iPhone, when you look at the map. Uh, this is a problem, of course, for devices that are Wi-Fi only, that don't have a built-in uh, cellular connection like iPhones. And of course, this is a problem for iPads. So unless they are awake and unless they are connected to a network, uh, you won't have an updated location on a map. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I always buy cellular iPads. Because from this point of view, if things go wrong, they, they have the same chance of updating their location as an iPhone. Um, and of course, in my experience, when I tested with the, you know, just to see the Find My iPhone app, not because I had actually lost my iPhone, it did work well. Uh, to you know, the location was updated correctly in the in the maps, which, by the way, use a I think a, a, a recent version of MapKit on the web. I think it's version three of MapKit for the web, and I like to see Apple do these uh, web-based maps more. Uh, you know, in in more places, uh, they're kind of nice to look at, and they're kind of like maps on iOS. Um, the problem here is that if someone steals your phone, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, Fraser, what they typically do is they either turn off the device or they remove the SIM card. So the device stays powered on, but it loses the ability to communicate with the cellular connection. And therefore, the location in the map is not updated anymore. And the problem here lies in the fact that iOS, an iOS device can be powered off without the system asking for a passcode and also the, the the SIM tray does not lock. So there's no locking mechanism for the SIM tray. Anyone can just pop it open and remove the SIM card. And this is a, we could have a discussion here because uh, on one hand, I do believe there should be a way to always enter the passcode or touch ID if you want to turn off a device and there should be there should be a fancy locking mechanism for sim trays so that if you want to pop it open there's like a system that can let you remove the sim card or not but on the other hand it's also true that sometimes or very often recently software can fail and there should be a way to hard reset an iPhone and what if for example let's say there's a bug in iOS that you want to turn off your phone, uh, but it's not accepting touch input anymore, so it's not letting you type in a passcode. Or what if the passcode UI doesn't come up at all? Uh, and this is the reason why there's always been a way to force a shutdown of an iOS device, because if the software stops responding, you gotta have a, you gotta have a way to bypass every single check and just power it off and start it up again. And so... I don't know what, what the best solution here uh, could be. Maybe there should be an even more hidden, maybe even more difficult way of uh, doing a hard reset, doing a forced shutdown. It shouldn't be as easy as just pressing down the side button and then swiping. Maybe there should be the passcode there, and if you want to force a shutdown, uh, it could be a more complex combination of 
holding multiple buttons together. I don't know. Yeah, I think with, with that, if you don't implement the locking symmetry, then there's no point in requiring a passcode to shut down the device because you can, yeah. al- you can always get by by just taking the SIM card out and then that device off the network. Um, as to the sort of force restart thing, if you made it a force restart and not a force shutdown, then the device would always come back to a running state and then if it's a cellular device, get back up on the cellular network, even without the passcode. Uh, so I think there are ways around that, but all of it hinges on whether or not you want to implement a locking symmetry. Because if you don't implement that, then the rest of that's not really worth bothering with, I don't think. And this is exactly what they did when my mom's uh, phone was stolen a couple of years ago. Uh, they took the phone and they removed the SIM card and the phone was off the map. And uh, my mom called me and I did the whole procedure of find my phone, activation lock, uh, playing sounds, sending the message. But uh, yeah, you can just remove the SIM card and the phone disappears uh, from find my iPhone. Which is why it is important, I think, to always enable the option to send your last location. So you can at least see where the iPhone last communicated with, with the find my iPhone service and put a pin on the map to see this is the last known location of your phone. And it can be enabled in the iOS settings, and it's also an option that I enable on every single iPhone from everyone I know. I just, you know, when they mention that they get an iPhone, I say, do you enable all the Find My iPhone options? And enable the last location one, because it's just, you know, it's good to have. Uh, I'll mention briefly playing sounds, Federico. Uh, the you can just, as a very kind of basic finding device, and I use this quite frequently with the children's iPads uh, and phones, um, you can just say, play a sound, and the device will start, as long as it's on the network, the device will start beeping uh, when it gets that command. Um, And as of iOS 10.3, even your AirPods can be found that way as well. Um, Although this requires that you are doing this from Find My iPhone on the device that last connected to them over Bluetooth, right? Because um, AirPods are not Wi-Fi devices, they're only Bluetooth devices. So if you you last used your AirPods with an iPad, you have to do the Find My iPhone stuff from an iPad, from that iPad specifically, to, to get the Bluetooth command to the devices. But what you can do is you can play a sound through the headphones and the headphones will play the sort of pinging sound until you can find them. Um, yeah. And this is really more, it's not like if somebody steals your AirPods, this is how you're going to find them. But <laughs> I've, no. I've typically used it more for finding one of the two earbuds when I fell asleep with them and then they're in the bed somewhere and yes. I can't find them. Yes. Uh, and the bed sheets are white and the AirPods are white. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, it's actually been surprisingly useful the number of times I've used it. So playing sounds is a very helpful thing to be able to do. If you do lose your phone or, or if it's stolen, uh, you need to enable lost mode. Um, this is optional, but it, I highly recommend that you do so if you're positive that your phone has been stolen or th- that you actually lost it. What lost mode does, it does a bunch of things. It locks your phone, it locks your device immediately. So even if you have a required password set up to require a passcode after X hours, it will bypass that and it will lock the device right away. Then it will begin tracking the location continuously of, your, of the device. Uh, so in, it, you can know, of course, provided that, that it has access to the network, as we just mentioned, you can know where the device is going. And even if you have the location services turned off, uh, it is forced back on and you will be able to track it. Then if you have Apple Pay enabled, uh, Lost Mode will disconnect 
all of your registered cards from the Apple Pay service, and it even works if the device is offline because it's like a, a kill switch that happens on the Apple infrastructure in the cloud. It happens at the very uh, payment processor level. So even if the device is offline, Apple Pay, the service knows, well, this account, when it comes back online and tries to purchase something, the cards have been deregistered, so the payment will fail. And finally, uh, Lost Mode gives you an option to display a custom message on the lock screen of the device. And this can be a please return message or, I don't know, <laughs> you can put in anything that you want <laughs> to let the thieves know. I have a very specific set of skills. Yeah, for example, uh, typically most people do, hey, this phone has been lost. If you find it, please send an email or call me at this number. There will be a reward. Uh, at least most of my friends do this. When I did uh, put the message on my mom's iPhone, I wasn't as kind and I didn't promise any reward. Uh, but uh, of course, we, we, we never got the phone back either. So uh, last mode can be useful if you lose your phone, not if it's stolen, but if you lose your phone and someone you know with good intentions finds it, uh, it can be it can be a way to get it back by displaying a message, locking the phone, tracking it on a map, see what's happening, and then eventually maybe someone will contact you. Yeah. The other thing to mention about loss mode is that it is reversible. It's not as, as strong as erasing the device, which is the other thing you can do. Yeah, you can turn off loss mode once you find the device again, and all your files and stuff will still be there, all your apps will still be there. Um, but you'll have to set up Apple Pay again, of course. But apart from that, uh, loss mode is reversible. Uh, and the one that, but the one that's not reversible is erasing device. And this is the kind of nuclear option if you're, as, as I was, fairly sure that you're not getting that phone back any time. Uh, you can send an erase device command that just uh, destroys all the data on the device, and, and that's the end of it. Now, if you do that, you'll you will not see the device in in Find My iPhone anymore. There's no. You're basically saying at that point, I've given up hoping to get this back. Uh, I'm basically saying it's gone. So let's just protect ourselves by destroying all the data that was on it. Um, now, erase device requires that, that the device be on the network, um, and it will erase itself immediately if it is. But if it's not, the next time the device comes online, it will receive that command from Apple and it will erase itself at that point as well. So that's your, your nuclear option if all else is going to fail. I want to have a final note on safety. Um, if you lose your phone or if it's stolen and you start tracking the phone and find my iPhone, please be very careful and think deeply about trying to get back your phone. Don't go knocking on someone else's door just by yourself. Uh, if you think the phone has been stolen, contact law enforcement. Don't go try to be a hero uh, because if you know people with bad intentions have stolen your iPhone, they won't be kind if they see you by yourself trying to find your phone. Uh, you know. Uh, and trying to get it back. So if you think it has been stolen, or even if you think someone found it, don't go by yourself. And if you're positive that, you're, for example, the bag has been stolen and you track your phone, give this information to law enforcement. Let them track the phone. Let them handle the situation. Don't be a hero. If you if you think someone else has actually found it, may, and maybe they ask for a meeting to give your to give your phone back, maybe go there with a couple of friends just to be safe. You know, uh, it's, you know, we hear of these stories of scamming and people. You know, uh, they say I found your phone, then you go there and they also rob you. They <laughs> they take your wallet and your purse. You know, always go there with with a bunch of friends if possible. And I want to also have this uh, note on phishing scams. 
here's what happened with my mom. And I did some research and it's a common situation for a bunch of people who lost their iPhones. So my mom had a stolen had a phone stolen at a restaurant. She was waiting in line to pay. Someone grabbed the phone from her purse and ran away. My mom called me from my dad's phone and I logged into I logged into her iCloud account because I keep my uh, one password filled with account information for my re- uh, relatives. I logged in, I enabled lost mode and uh, unfortunately I saw right away that the phone had been taken offline. Couple of months pass, uh, we don't get any updates from the police. Of course, the phone has been stolen and it's a low priority for, you know, for the police force in my town. Um, she gets uh, another iPhone. Uh, she sets up her same number uh, with the new SIM card. And one day she gets a, a message, a text message, uh, saying uh, something along the lines of, this is Apple account security team your lost iPhone has been found. Please click this link to view where the iPhone is on iCloud.com. And there was a link to tap. So she gets suspicious and she calls me and says, Federico, do you know that they found my iPhone? And they send me a text message. And that right away had my uh, senses alerted because it didn't make any sense that Apple sends you a text message saying that the phone has been found with a sketchy link to tap. So I had her copy the link without opening the link in Safari and send me the link. And of course, it was a sketchy URL that was supposed to look like an iCloud domain, but it was obviously not an Apple domain. And so I did some research. And here's what these people do. They take your iPhone and they steal the iPhone and then they realize the phone has been stolen so there's activation lock, so the phone cannot be used. So we need to recover this person's iCloud information so we can log in and disable activation lock, in theory. So here's what they do. They, somehow they manage to get the phone number, maybe by making a quick phone call uh, as the phone has been stolen before removing the SIM card. They get the phone number, they wait a few months, they send you a text message, a text message and they play on the psychological aspect of People really want to get their phones back because maybe they have their photos and stuff. And so they assume that the less tech-savvy users are just going to click the link. They're going to believe it's an iCloud web app. They're going to put in their login information. But of course, this web service is a scam and it actually records your username and your password. So now these people have access to your iCloud account. They can take what you just typed, put it into the iPhone, disable an activation lock, or reselling your phone with all of your data on it. Um, So if you get a message with the link that says your phone has been found, uh, try to not believe it. Actually go to the real iCloud.com, log in with your real account and do it manually. Don't tap on any links from any phone number that pretends to be Apple and don't provide your login information to anyone but Apple on iCloud.com. Those are all really good points. And some of those I hadn't actually thought about it yet, but I'll definitely pass those on too. A couple of other things to mention, just to think about. If you do have a device stolen, uh, think about what other data on there do you want to protect. Um, so the, dev- the device, if you've got these all these security settings in place, you're, you're probably in good shape for the device not to be compromised. But let's say, for example, it does happen. Consider whether you need to reset any other passwords or keep an eye on other accounts for um 
any kind of fraudulent activity. If you have a banking app installed, you want to talk to your bank about fraud and have them keep an eye on your account as well. Um, if you if you set up Apple Pay, loss mode is going to help you get that disconnected. Uh, you may want to consider resetting your iCloud password as well. That was something that we did. Um, and if you use a password manager like One Password, you may want to consider changing the, the master password there too, just in case. Yep. Uh, I'm not saying yep. it's likely that that would be compromised because if you've done a good job of having a passcode for your phone and then a separate passcode for One Password, then it's unlikely that one will lead to the compromise of the other necessarily, but better safe than sorry, particularly for something like One Password where you have... Um, uh, you have multiple uh, other passwords in there. You want to just make sure that doesn't get out. So we we use yeah. uh, One Password for families, which is an excellent service from yeah. One Password. Yeah. And what I was able to do then was to log into the kind of management console and suspend my wife's part of the account, so that even if that was compromised, um, all of our vaults would be secure in One Password, uh, and we can recover her account later when when we get the new device back again. Yeah, uh, we just started using 1Password for families as well. It was many months overdue, and it's really good. And, and I heard from a few people who have a really nuclear option to deal with the emergency recovery of 1Password data. Uh, the 1Password service can generate an emergency kit, which is actually a PDF with a bunch of private information, including, a, um, I think, your, uh, your, uh, part of your recovery key, and there's a QR code that you can scan. Uh, and I heard a lot of people who downloaded the emergency kit, filled it out with the password, with the master password and with the full recovery key, then printed the PDF and put it in a safe deposit box, <laughs> like at a bank or at an office, in a, you know, somewhere safe to have a hard off-site backup uh, to recover your one password information. So, you know, that's an option. <laughs> I, I recently went through this whole procedure. I think this is after the, the event of Paris um, and thought about how would I get back into my accounts if all my devices were lost? And we'll put yeah. a link in the show notes to that that piece on my blog because I think it was, I found a few things where I thought, like, if I don't have anything, how am I going to get back into my iCloud account? How am I going to get back into one password? Um, and it wasn't, I discovered a number of ways in which I would have been locked out. If I had had both my iPad and my phone stolen, I would have been in quite a lot of trouble. So uh, we'll link to that as well. That's probably a whole other show for another day is about sort of traveling security as well. Mm, uh, yeah. But it's something to bear in mind. If you have long, complex passwords, there's one or two that you do need to genuinely memorize. Yeah. So in summary, let's run down the steps that we mentioned to take care and protect yourself. Set up a passcode on your devices. At least a six-digit one, preferably an alphanumeric passcode, passcode, so you can be sure it's long and there are so many combinations, no one will ever be able to guess it. Use Touch ID. It's so convenient, it's secure, uses your fingerprints, and it's faster than typing out a passcode every single time. Make sure you're signed into iCloud, of course, because it's the basic system that controls everything on your iOS device. Turned on into the Find My iPhone settings, the option to send last location. So you can always know what the last known location of an iOS device is, and you can get an idea of, for example, where you lost your phone or where it was stolen. Enable two-factor authentication on your iCloud account. This makes it harder for people 
as well as you, because you will always be asked for a second factor to log into your iCloud account. And also into the Apple ID settings, consider adding multiple verified phone numbers or multiple verified emails. So if you lose access to your phone number, you lose access to your email, at least uh, the second factor can go out to a different verified email or a different verified phone number. Of course, they have to belong to people that you trust. And also, Federico, people that you you know how to get in touch with. Because as, yeah, part, as part of my solving. security thinking, I mean, who memorizes a phone number anymore? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it has to be somebody whose phone number you know off by heart as well. That's something else just to yeah. bear in mind. Next point, something that I recommend to everybody all the time. You got to know your iCloud password by memory. You need to memorize your iCloud password. Don't generate a random long iCloud password that you cannot reference. Make sure that it's a long password, that it's got uh, different characters in it, like numbers or symbols. Make sure it's a password you can type out without looking it up in a password manager. Because if you lose access to the password manager, well, now you also lose uh, lost access to iCloud. So make sure... What I do is my iCloud password, my 1Password and my Dropbox passwords... I do remember them all just by myself. I don't need to look them up in one password. Uh, set up a PIN code on your Apple Watch. Uh, it's always best to have a passcode on every device, including the Apple Watch, because it can be used to access your health information if you have third-party watch OS apps installed or other private data that you don't want other people to see. And finally, Fraser, if you go to McDonald's, Keep an eye on your bag. <laughs> Do you know what? I was, I was distracted because it was one of those, <laughs> apart from the three kids screaming for a burger, it was one of those McDonald's that's got the new ordering system. I don't know if you've seen this, where you, it's a big touch yeah. screen that you order. And then I was all, I I was all <laughs> obsessed with the fact that you can get this little card that you put on your table. And there's a system <laughs> where there's like a map of the, of the restaurant and the staff member can see where the card is on the table. And I was like, how does this all work? This must be Bluetooth beacons, blah, blah, blah. And I was, I was nerding out about all yeah. this technology and then some random dude just runs away with my bag. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I think yeah. you're, you're the most, uh, uh, you, you're, you're one of the people that I know on the internet with the most uh, safety measures. You know, you're, you're constantly talking about all of these different steps to make your devices secure and safe and, you know, prevent unauthorized access. And now they, they of all people, they got your phone and it's yeah, just so, data, so unfair yeah. <laughs> they didn't get your data that's that's the most important part you know there's a really interesting book federico i just want to mention this um uh, if people haven't read it it's a book called being digital by nicholas negroponte and i read this years ago as, as a school kid um but there's a really brilliant bit in it where he goes into a, a company i think it's motorola and he has to check in his laptop at the door and the, the receptionist asks him for the approximate value of, of the bag. And he says, oh, it's roughly between $1 and $2 million. And she says, sir, that can't possibly be. And he says, oh, yeah, I, I'm not talking about the laptop. I'm talking about the data on the laptop. And that mm-hmm. was always very influential to me, that actually the data is way, way more valuable than, uh, than the actual device itself. That's true. That's very true. Cool. Well, shall we leave it there, Federico? I think that has a, is a pretty comprehensive run-through of these are the built-in features on iOS, right? These are just built-in things. You know, one password we can talk about another day, but these are just the built-in features that you can use in iOS to protect yourself and your data as you travel through the world using iOS devices. 
This has been Canvas episode 33. You can get the show notes for this episode at relay.fm slash canvas slash 33. You can connect with the show on Twitter at underscore canvasfm. I'm Fraser Spears on Twitter. Federico is Vitici, and we will see you next time.